Hi everyone and welcome to I Made a Biology Podcast Help Me Study because that is exactly what I did. Um, I'm Laura and I'm studying for my IB exams and bio is one of those subjects where you cannot repeat enough so I decided to make these podcasts that I can play on my way to school and um, before I go to bed and such to help me memorize like the hardest processes and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying this out. I honestly don't know what I'm trying to get out of it except knowledge. So if it's any use to you, that's really awesome. I'm glad. And if not, then I'm sorry and I hope you have a good day. Today, I decided to do a little uh, 1.1 crash course. 1.1 is the first topic of the entire biology syllabus. And it's um, the introduction to cells, which is really useful pretty much across the whole syllabus because according to cell theory, all living things are composed of cells. So that is the first idea in topic 1.1, the principles of cell theory. Number one is all living things are composed of cells. Number two is the cell is the smallest unit of life. And number three is that cells only arise from pre-existing cells. However, there are exceptions to this theory. There are three examples. For example, muscle fibers, which fuse to form fibers that are very long, and they have multiple nuclei. So this challenges the idea that cells will always function as independent autonomous units because muscle fibers shows that they can be very long, meaning they could not be the smallest unit of life, and the fact that they have multiple nuclei. Then there is acetate fungal hyphate, which is a fungi that is separated into cells by internal walls, but they're not partitioned. So that means they're not divided into distinct cell shapes. And what that challenges is the idea that living structures are composed of discrete cells, because in this case, they are not. And lastly, the giant algae, which I think is easiest to remember for any exam question, is a unicellular algae, and it can grow into very, very large sizes. And that challenges the idea that a larger organism will always be made up of, of a microscopic cell, because in this case, it is one cell, but it is extremely large. And cell theory suggests that cells are the smallest unit of life. Moving on to the functions of life, which can be remembered with the mnemonic of Mr. Sheng. The functions of life are as follows, metabolism, reproduction, sensitivity, homeostasis, excretion, nutrition, and growth. Metabolism is the essential chemical reactions that an organism has to undertake. Reproduction is the production of an offspring. This can be asexual or sexual. Then sensitivity is the responsiveness of an organism to the internal and external stimuli, stimuli being something that would trigger a response. Homeostasis is uh, maintaining a stable internal environment, so often this regards body temperature. Excretion is the removal of waste products. Nutrition is the exchange of materials and gases with the environment. And lastly, growth is an organism's ability to move and to be able to change their shape or their size. So the functions of life, again, are metabolism, reproduction, sensitivity, homeostasis, excretion, nutrition, and growth. Then there are two uh, examples that you need to be able to apply, one being paramecium, and then you need to compare that with a photosynthetic unicellular organism. And you need to understand how these functions apply on unicellular organisms. So for paramecium, for, for sensitivity, they have small hairs called cilia, which allows motion. For nutrition, they use a feeding groove known as a cytostome, which helps them engulf food. 
then their metabolism is in these small food vacuoles that contain digestive enzymes. Their excretion occurs through an anal pore, and this is for liquids, and their liquid excretion occurs through a vacuole. Then for homeostasis, they have the exchange of CO2 and O2 via diffusion. And for reproduction, they divide asexually through binary fission. Then the example that I'll be using for the photosynthetic organism is a Cynodesmus. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. It's an autotroph. And for nutrition and excretion, they have the exchange of gases and other essential materials via diffusion. Their metabolism is the ability to conduct photosynthesis with the help of chlorophyll pigments. Their reproduction is via internal asexual division of the parent cell. And for their sensitivity, they choose to exist either independently or they form colonies for protection. So this is the idea that they respond to their external environment and whether they would need protection in a colony or whether they would choose to live independently. Then the surface area to volume ratio is a fundamental idea of the whole IB biology syllabus because of its ability to um, sustain any chemical reactions. So cells need to produce chemical energy via metabolism to survive, and this requires the exchange of materials with their environment. So this looks at how the rate of metabolism of a cell is a function of its mass or its volume and how at the same time the rate of material exchange, which is exchanged through the membrane, is a function of its surface area. So I like to think of it as metabolism and mass because it's M&M, &M, and then material surface. So larger cells need more energy to sustain essential functions, while a large membrane surface would allow more material movement. That's why a metabolic rate exceeding the rate of exchange would be very deadly for the cell because there's a very low surface area volume ratio. However, if the cell grows and then it divides into smaller cells, there's a very high surface area volume ratio and it makes it much more suitable. And this is all because volume increases faster than surface area increases. Examples of this would be uh, villi in the intestinal tissue or the microvilli in the alveoli, alveoli in the lungs. Moving on to magnification. Magnification formula is image size, which you measure with a ruler, uh, divided by the actual size, which is according to the scale bar. And this is mo more often than not, this is going to be in micrometers. Then the emergent properties are the ability of multiple cells to create more complex, um, create more complex structures because there are multiple cells. So it's the, the functions that multicellular organisms are capable of that unicellular organisms are not capable of. So for example, in a multicellular organism, cells can form to make tissues. And then the tissues can form organs and the organs can form organ systems, and so on, so on. So that just shows how, because there are multiple cells involved, more complex structures can be formed. Then cell differentiation is the next process of how newly formed cells can become more specialized, and they can differentiate themselves, so to be distinct um, from any other cell as they mature. So although all cells in an organism have the identical genome, different genes are expressed by different cells and that gives them this differentiation, this, this different um, use in the body.
and these start as stem cells. Stem cells are cells that can be differentiated into any cell and they are pluripotent. So that means that they have this ability of being any cell that you would desire before maturity, of course. Their main um, benefit is their self-renewal because they can continuously divide and replicate and this potency about having the capacity to differentiate into any specialized cell types. The use of stem cells is they're very often used for embryonic development because they can develop into any cells that you need. And that also makes them very desirable for therapeutic, um, for therapeutic options to repair or help cure some kind of organ malfunction. So that leads us to stem cell therapy, which is the last idea. And stem cell therapy helps to replace damaged or diseased cells with a healthy and functioning one. And this includes a biochemical solution, which helps trigger differentiation. And then you implant this in a surgery into the patient's tissues. You monitor this to make sure that the um, immune system doesn't reject the cells. And then hopefully that can help to, um, that can lead to the, a better health of that patient. Examples of stem cell therapy include Stangard's disease. So this is a disease in which you would use um, cells to differentiate into retina cells because Stangard's disease leads to blindness. Then in Parkinson's disease is another example where you would want to grow nerve cells because it attacks it's a it's a degenerative disorder that attra- attacks the uh, sorry attacks the central nervous system and by um, replacing this with newer nerve cells this can be eased. However, both of these I don't think have a um, cure so they would only be treated they could not be cured the last idea is understanding the ethical implications of sourcing these stem cells stem cells can be sourced from embryos but the ethical implication is that these are very expensive and the preservation and storage is not a price that the average person could pay so it is not widely accessible to those that could very much need it then it could be sourced from uh, the placenta or the umbilical cord But the obvious implication here is that this would be destructive of a potential newborn. And then lastly, they can also be sourced from adult tissue, such as bone marrow. However, the implication here is that it is very limited in its application and it's only effective for certain conditions. So that would be a very big disadvantage for general therapeutic uses. So that pretty much wraps up topic 1.1 in just under 11 minutes. I covered everything that the understandings addressed, so hopefully this was beneficial, and yeah, that's it.